So every day I had, I got this little red ticket that I would have to hand to the cashier for my lunch. Mm. And the shame around that was overwhelming. I mean, when I, I could still feel emotion when I think about that. Welcome to the More Than Corporate Podcast. I'm Amber Furman, recovering perfectionist and serial accomplisher. If you're anything like I used to be, you've been living your life thinking that if you accomplish enough stuff, you'll finally find the success you've always wanted. But what if it's not about accomplishing more stuff? What if it's about accomplishing the right stuff? I believe you don't find success. You create it by intentionally designing the life you want and having the courage to get out of your comfort zone to live your design. I went from doing what I was supposed to do to doing what I love to do, and now I get to help others do the same. Keep listening as I chat with inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day and learn how you too can live the life you've always wanted. Welcome back to another episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. Today, I have Kim Curtis with us. She is a best-selling author of Money Secrets and Retirement Secrets. She's a nationally recognized wealth management advisor and president and CEO of the Wealth Legacy Institute. Her groundbreaking work in developing a highly personal client-centric planning model was recognized in the Journal of Practical Estate Planning, winning the Editor's Choice Award. I'm super excited to dig into these topics with her because as you know, we talk about success on this podcast and the idea of a highly personalized approach to finances is so incredibly important for everybody and also even more important when we own our own businesses and we're jumping into our own way of living life. So I'm super excited to bring her on to the show. Um, Kim has been profiled in several publications, including the Wall Street Journal, She's attained multiple professional designations and been recognized by the financial planning industry as having achieved the highest level of competence and expertise. She can be reached at wealthlegacyinstitute.com, and we're going to include all of that in the show notes and give her an opportunity to discuss that as well. Um, so if you have any questions, if you are watching this on the live stream, feel free to um, pop in and ask some questions, and we'll go ahead and start this conversation with Kim. Kim, how are you doing today? Good. Thanks, Amber. Whoo, man, that was a lot that you shared. I know, right? <laughs> who I'm, is that person? Who is she? Well, let's find out. So I always like to start with this question because I think it's interesting. The times that we all thought we had it all figured out, um, <laughs> otherwise known as teens and early 20s, um, we have this vision of what our life's going to be that kind of dictates a lot of our choices. So for you, when you were growing up and actually making decisions, what did you think your life was going to look like? Was it this? Oh gosh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so funny you say that. I remember when I was 18 sitting, you know, like back in the day, they, there were two chairs that looked at a TV in my parents' house and a sofa all around the outside of the wall, right? And I remember thinking, eating a bag of Doritos <laughs> and Orange Crush, thinking, gosh, I know everything. Yes. I, yeah, I actually, hmm, let me think. What do I not know? Let me think. Let me think. <gasps> nope, I, I know everything. And so I can't imagine my mother having to parent that, you know? So, whoo, um, 
absolutely had no idea I would be where I am today. It wasn't even part of my vision, part of my world. However, I did have one thing, and I think it was my saving grace. I knew I was going to be somebody. Mm. That's all I knew. Yeah. That could be for good or for bad at the time, based on what that story I just shared, but I knew I was going to be somebody. You know, I love that you said that. And there's multiple reasons that I always start episodes with this question. And one of them is because I feel like we have been um, overwhelmed by stories of people who are like, I always knew this is what I wanted to do. And it leads this doubt in people's minds of, well, can I do this if it's not something that I always knew I wanted to do, right? And so I love hearing people talk about what it is that they thought they wanted to be when we knew it all, right? <laughs> just like you just said, like when we knew it all and we didn't need anybody's help. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you this then, since you have expanded your knowledge from knowing it all to knowing more than all. <laughs> to um, knowing nothing. That's the beauty of it all. You all yes. of a sudden realize it goes the opposite. To, yeah. <laughs> yes. So what is one piece of information that you wish that the you that knew it all would have known? Who man, oh man. I think leaning into fear. Ooh. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, what has your experiences or when you were growing up, what was the dynamic of your influences? Did you have entrepreneurial influences in your life? Was it more of a blue collar influence? What was that like for you? Definitely starting out as a blue collar. Well, we all, you know, in hindsight, it's like, oh, we were all blue collar back then, even though we may not have been, who yeah. knows what we were, but we all thought we were blue collar. Yes. Um, I, I think that for me, my story actually is really interesting because my parents, uh, my mom was a stay at home mom. They were married for 20 years and, the, and she married before finishing high school because my dad got drafted into the Korean War. So, oh, wow. and they moved to a new state, uh, New York, where I grew up from Pennsylvania. So after 20 years, they got divorced. And my mom ended up with full custody of three teenage girls. Wow. I was the middle of the three. That would probably answers a lot of questions too. <laughs> um, but what, but so being that lifestyle of mom staying at home, raising the kids to all of a sudden, a mom with no skills, no employable mm. skills, um, that forced me into government assisted food stamps or, or, you know, lunch. So every day I had, I got this little red ticket that I would have to hand to the cashier for my lunch. Mm. And the shame around that was overwhelming. I mean, when I, I could still feel emotion when I think about that um, back in the day, cause you'd look behind you, I'd hide it under my plate and look behind before I had to pass it to the cashier. So, so the money story of, blue collar, uh, government assisted lunch. Uh, who am I? I don't have any money. Um, at two. And my, then my mother eventually figured her life out and became a very successful realtor. Mm. So, so that uh, she, it, her tagline was I sell real estate and I'm good at it. Oh, I love that. Imagine that in the 70s, 80s. Yeah. As Unapologetically a woman. Yeah. good at something. Yeah. I love that. So 
we know through the way that the mind is formed that so many of the things that we experience as a child follow us into adulthood. So that money mindset that you had, what do you think was the biggest challenge for you in overcoming that so that you can speak about abundance and wealth <laughs> to so many people? And become a CEO of a multi-million dollar wealth management yeah. company? Yeah, that's a big shift, right, Amber? How did that happen? You know, it's funny. Uh, my mother had one thing that was very important that she gave to the three girls, and that was uh, to make sure you get an education mm -hmm. because no one can take it away from you. Isn't that interesting? Um, it is. So no one can take it away from you. So, so because that's what she did not have. So I went to college, undergrad, and then I moved out to Denver where I live today uh, to go to law school. So, and then right after that, and again, thinking I still know a lot back then, I completely defaulted on my school loans wow. and uh, went into debt. A lot of debt. I mean, if you think about it, in today's dollars, it was worth about 95000 in debt uh, you know, for today's dollars. So I definitely had a lot of debt. And most of that was from law school. And so I didn't know how to manage money. I, I, had, I was my own shit show in my 20s. Um, but I had something. And that something was... I had someone do an anonymous gift uh, on my school loan wow. of a thousand bucks. And I noticed that it went down, not up. And it was like, wow, what, what, who, what, what? And it took me several months. But when I finally discovered who this anonymous donor was, that act of love that, that someone believed in me really made me kind of go inward and go, why don't I believe in me? What, do, what story am I telling myself? And I think that was the start of me starting to make different choices in my life that led me to where I am today. Obviously, there's a long journey along the way of mistakes yeah. and course corrections. But it was that gift that caused me to pause enough to think about my own self-worth. I love that so much. I feel like as a coach and um, really as entrepreneurs in general, we have so much belief in the people around us. Like we, there's something about people who really want to help. And it's interesting to me that the entrepreneurial community for the most part is one of the most supportive communities I've ever been a part of. And it's like, you can look at somebody and you can see all of the potential mm -hmm. and then you can see all of the doubt. And that is what I love about being a coach so much is saying, Hey, let's bring these together. Like, let me be the mirror for you so that you can see all of the amazingness in you. Money is one of those so touchy subjects, which is why I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. I was just talking with somebody the other day and I said, you know, it's frustrating because we now, I went to law school as well, I'm a practicing attorney, and we, you start your life in debt. If education <laughs> is something that has been a value to you, you start your life in debt. But more importantly, you start it with a belief that you're never going to be able to pay it off, mm. which I think leads to this disrespect of money, because if you're in debt and you're never going to mm -hmm. be able to get out of debt, then why does it matter? And you feel like you're in this, this mountain. Can you talk a little bit about things that people can do to start to shift that mindset when it comes to, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to get out of this? Yeah, mindset, my everything, you know, how you do money is how you do life. Mm. 
So when you think of mindset, that's the starting point for everything. So just like my story of believing in myself was, a, was an act of someone else showing an expression that they believe in you for you to then take the first seed, little seed of confidence. So, so the, I would say, I, I love this, the disrespect for money and climbing this mountain, um, which you and I, 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 I'm assuming you, like you said, it had a lot of debt. And so yes. how do we, you know, and it's easy to feel like I'm never going to pay it off, which is what I thought. I absolutely thought I would never, ever pay it off. Um, so I'm trying to think of how direct I can be to, to help someone. And I think the number one thing is get your head out of the sand. Mm. Get it's your head so out hard. of the sand uh, and really evaluate. Thing. I know, of course, it, if it were easy, we would all be thin and we would all be yes. you know, wealthy. Um, but there are basic strategies that to get started. And having a coach to help you move through that, like you said, in the mirror, I think is really, really powerful. So my legal background was negotiation, mediation, arbitration. So it's alternative dispute resolution. Yeah. And I became the youngest vice president in the country reporting to the president in New York City. And at 30, I'm like, this is it? You know? Um, and, so, and so I, again, had uh, the people around you that see something in you. I, uh, I had a friend who was in human resources at a big corporation. So she had access to a lot of tools and she put me through a battery of tests to find out like what my skill set was and so forth. And one of the things that came up was financial planning. Yeah, right. The money right. Shit show <laughs> going into financial planning and money. And because of my early success in alternative dispute resolution, um, I was like, oh, I could knock this out of the park <laughs> in three to five years. This is going to be easy. And then it was like, Oh, okay. Five to seven years. And it was seven to even, 10. Yeah. Seven to 10. And, and I, I want to say that after the seventh year, I think that if I think of my colleagues back in the day, the seven to 10 was kind of when you started to actually make money and not be, and not be a loss. I mean, my mate at the time used to call me a net operating loss, a, the, her, you know, little Noel net operating loss. Cause I just, I worked, but I wasn't making any money. Mm. So, so I think that, that, that slow fail, course, correct, fail, course, correct, fail, course, correct. All of those failures are opportunities to grow. And so by getting your head out of the sand around money and go, what is your reality? How in debt are you? And then come up with one small step. You know, what is the money coming in? If you have any, what is the money going out? And, and what is that cash flow? And what are the values of, uh, that's more the, the, the quantitative side, but the right. qualitative side is, who are you? I, I, if you could, t if I could look at somebody and I could tell who, what their values are just by who they, how they show up. So what are your values and make sure that what you're doing is in alignment with that, because otherwise no amount of money will ever give you an extraordinary life. Yeah. I love this conversation so much because I think here's what happens. At least this was my story <laughs> is that I, similar to you only wanted, like, I didn't know what I wanted to be. I just knew I wanted to be successful. Mm -hmm. That was it. 
just mm-hmm. going to be successful. And I'm an eighties baby. So success in that time was money. We were like, I don't know yeah, when right. six figures became the magic mm-hmm. number that was supposed to solve everybody's problems, but it seems like the um, late seventies, early eighties into that um, decade, it's like get six figures and you'll be good to go. Right. And so for me, that's what the only way I knew how to do it was a law degree. Um, And when you live in a world where the definition of success is so tied to monetary achievement and you're in debt, it becomes so hard to have that conversation because you're not approaching it as a factor of who you are. You're approaching it as an identity of failure Mm. because this is all that it was supposed to be was money. Mm -hmm. And so I love that we're able to have these conversations now that money doesn't define you, which I think is a relatively new, you know, 10, 20 year concept of us finally breaking that definition of success away from money. Yeah, I, I would, I would, I would agree with you. I think the other piece of that, which is again, still back to mindset, as I see behind you, um, that plaque on your wall, we have a set point. It's like a, a temperature, a gauge. And that set point on money. And when you get there, all of a sudden you may, you know, oh, I got my six figures. I'm not going to go over that because yes. I have my set point. And that set point is in everything. It's, it's in how hard you work. As an entrepreneur, what amount of money you think you need to bring in each month, you get it. So you slow down. It's all of those behaviors until you can say, I'm, I'm raising that set point and you do it little by little. I mean, even in my business today, I find myself um, having to create a different set point, but I went 15 years without increasing my set point because I was trying to create a business. Yeah. And, and, you know, all new money went back into the business. So it was not about lifestyle for me um, until very uh, uh, 15 years later into the business. So, so I think that thermostat of raising that in a way that you believe that you deserve it and testing it out, whether it be the car you drive or the house that you live in, which sounds, which are all like just stuff. Yeah. But that gets back to you, what you said in terms of achievement, money, six figures, you get the stuff. Yep. And then how does it really fill in the void? So you get more stuff. You get a nicer car, a faster, nicer car. Yes, a faster, nicer car so you can drive away from the life that you've built for yourself. I mean, it's oh. it's a real problem, right? Um, I want to talk a little bit to the people who are listening, who are at least that entrepreneurial and business owner clean slate, the mm-hmm. people who are saying I'm in a nine to five. Sometimes I feel like I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I'm not happy. I want to do something else, but I don't feel like I have the money to start anything. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that people can do to start something new. And you mentioned fear earlier that stops us from doing that. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to the people who want to try something new, but are afraid that they are not going to be able to financially replace the income from the place that they are unhappy with? Mm -hmm. I'd be curious, Amber, to hear what you say on that. Because what I think about it, I, I... Tell me what you say, what you would say, and then I will piggyback off of that. 
Okay. I, yeah. I like that. Um, I think that it's very individualized based upon the person because mm-hmm. it is, you know, an individual mindset. Um, mm-hmm. The biggest thing that I think I would tell people is that if you are approaching it with the mindset that you're not going to be successful, you're not going to be successful. Mm. So with, you know, and this is why I kind of waited until after we got to the head out of the sand comment, because with the head out of the sand and your eyes a little bit brighter about what's possible, then we can start to have these real conversations about what do I actually need to survive? Mm -hmm. Do I need to replace my income? Do I need more than my income or less? Are there sacrifices I'm willing to make? I think all of those things come into the conversation about whether making a jump to um, a self-employed or business ownership role is the right time. You know, it's, it's, in the nature of my work, we have this pyramid that I like to describe, kind of the uh, the hierarchy. And people come to our firm because they have some money that they want managed. So managing money is the bottom of that pyramid. Above that is achieving goals. Mm-hmm. You need to put the two of them together because otherwise, if you're just managing money without attaching anything of desire, then it's like archery without a bullseye. So you need to have it with the plan to put context around your life. If you go up that above, so we have managing money, goals, that next one is lifestyle. So what does that lifestyle look like consistent with who you are? And we already talked about values um, and how that fits in. So when you get to lifestyle, the, and, and it's about, in US, it's about 95,000, right? Is that the number now today? About 95,000, if you make that, that your life should be kind of, okay, you can meet your basic needs. Yeah, I think that's about it. Yeah, I, I know I've read something that it was like 60 to 75,000 for a while, but well-being, and, and a little well-being, I think is a 95,000. Yeah. So if we have lifestyle, it allows us to then finally get peace of mind. And when we have peace of mind, because we know, because money is frenetic, it's all up here and crazy. And if we could put it down here as a foundation so that you could focus on the things most important to you for that extraordinary life, then that peace of mind then allows you space to breathe, to think the pinnacle of that pyramid is impact or like legacy, uh, however you define it. But I love the word impact. So how many of us actually get to impact when in fact, we, because you got to get our base needs met, we kind of want to know that our goals are on track, that we could get to a place of pausing to go, who am I? What, what allows me to jump out of bed every day, hang out with people I love and change the world for the better? What is that for you? And I think when we can get to that conversation, then I think we are unstoppable. Yeah, I, I would say I'm, the, I'm an example of that. What the hell, right? I mean, I had no right to be here. I have no right other than, which gets into another, the imposter syndrome. But, uh, but you know, I now know I deserve to sit at the table in a field yeah. that is male dominated. And I'm from New York as well. So I could speak up and make sure my voice gets heard when it gets stepped on. Um, but to, to show up, step up because I'm in alignment finally. 
Yeah. I think that there's a couple of things that you said that are so powerful. Um, the first is that you just, the imposter syndrome conversation, you know, knowing that you deserve a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. And I love that you brought that up because knowing that you deserve a seat at the table and also knowing that there's nothing that makes you different than the person that didn't make it other than your willingness to make it mm -hmm. is what creates that approachableness, right? I, I'm really avoiding the word humility right now. I think <laughs> like I, I hate that word. Um, <laughs> the attorney in you will appreciate this. So I was talking to somebody about being humble and I was like, something about the word humble and humility just doesn't fit with me. And so I went to a dictionary and I looked it up. Mm -hmm. Have you ever looked at the definition of humility? I'm afraid to ask. No, I have not. It is undermining your value and self-worth. So when people say be humble, bullshit, like don't mm -hmm. be humble. Right. But there's, there's another way to do it. And it's this, what you just described of pushing through that imposter syndrome saying, I know that I belong to be here. And then also knowing that there are other people who also belong to be there as well that we get to bring along with us. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think mm -hmm. that that's so incredibly important. There's something else you said. And, um, I think that you described it like this. That's what I saw. Uh, the phonetic. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. Phonetic. Um, when I started doing real mindset and NLP work, and I started attacking my money mindset problems from a neurological aspect, I realized that money had no definition to me. Mm. And when you talk about money having no value to a lot of people and it just being this abstract thing that we've always needed. And I think this is more important now than it was when we were growing up, because how often do we hold money right now? <laughs> it, we don't physically like, in our hands. Yeah. Right? We used to like when, when we were growing up, it was more likely that you would have cash on you or that you would write a check or that you would hold like physical, tangible value in your hand. But now with everything being so digital, it's so much easier to fall into this abstract mm -hmm. conversation. Mm -hmm. There's so many tools and resources that are out there that talk about this, but I want your perspective. How do we start to bring that back down into a tangible thing? How do we start for somebody who is really struggling with money management? How do we bring that down into a tangible, real asset that we can assign a value to? That's a, there's probably three different things to that, that question. And let me go back to um, kind of humility a little bit, because when I started in finance, remember, I, I had this ego that three to five years, I'll knock it out of the park. I don't know if you noticed, I have a lot of designations behind my name. Those designations were in a moment of achievement. Like I had to prove something, that whole education thing. Yeah. There's never enough what is enough. And then once I got those designations, now I look at it and go, I know that point in time in my life that I did that. I know how I felt. I know why I did it. And now yeah. I don't even know it. It's like, whatever. But we have to go through a process to get to the point of understanding that, okay, that's no longer relevant for me, but I yeah. needed to go through that to get to where I am today to look at it. 
Agreed. So I did want to address that. And then the other one we think of mindset and around money, we are like, we show up around money that could have happened generations before you. Your great, great grandfather was a tightwad. And so for us in our work, we actually, we call it humanographics, like humanity on a, on, on a, like a family tree almost. And you plot uh, your parents, your grandparents, your great grandparents, their siblings, birth order. And then, so you plot, and then you ask questions around that, structural questions, uh, functional questions. And you find that this is first generation um, in US, or you're the first gen to go to college, or you're the black sheep, or there are addiction issues, and how these money thing threads and values come down to where you are. So that when you go through that process with yourself, you could realize, oh my gosh, I'm really not an F up. Yeah. It's the generations before me that already put a stamp on me that's going to make it harder for me to be different in this area. Yeah. So, so when you, when you take a look back and you re recognize what are those forces and opportunities, family, like you said, did you have entrepreneurs in your family to really kind of outline that for yourself to then go, okay, this is what my starting point is. How am I going to change it? That's a really important thing to do to get to then um, touching money and and your initial conversation. So thank you for letting me kind of go back a little no, bit. No, of that. course. It was incredibly valuable. And I think it's interesting because I've never thought of it like that before, even though I know it, right? Even though I know how much your generational beliefs impact everything you do with money. I've never thought about breaking it down to addiction issues or first generation college or first generation immigrant, because all of those things have a money mindset with it. That's such an interesting and approach. financial literacy. Yeah. It's back to, so if, if the money, if there were no money conversations in your house, if you never had an allowance or touched money, how do you possibly expect to be successful with money moving forward? So I, for all of the listeners that are out there that have children, you need to have those money conversations and even tell them your own failure and send success or struggle uh, and what you are doing to overcome that. I think financial literacy is not taught. So how do we know? And we're not touching it anymore. So how do we even know what that really means? Right. But the bigger piece around that, Amber, is that even though we love money, I love money. I love what it does. I love what money can do. So if we look at money as energy, because we've heard that before. Yeah. It took a while to figure that one out for me because it was more of the tactical stuff that I loved. Um, but if you look at it as money as energy, it then has no value until it's the value you give it. It, it needs, so money needs you. Not, we all go, oh, I need money, I need money, I need money. Yeah. No, money needs you. And when you put your values behind that, then we can have huge impact in the world. And yeah. I think it's really important. I agree with you. And this is kind of going down a sales. This is why I love when we get on um, before we hit record and somebody's like, where do you want this conversation to go? I'm like, I don't know. We're going to talk and figure <laughs> it out. Because this leads into a super important conversation about valuing yourself, mm -hmm. right? When you're now 
owning a business where it's a service-based business or you're selling a product, service, or solution, um, and you have to put a value on that, well, $1,000 isn't the same in every environment. And so I think that we live in a world where we talk about modeling so much because that's how we as human beings learn. So we'll see somebody put a course out for like $14.95 and be like, oh, I can do that. But $14.95 in this realm isn't the same as $14.95 in this realm. And it's not the same to that person as it is to this person. Mm -hmm. And I love the value conversation that we get to apply to money because I think that it is applicable not only when we're talking about planning for your future and getting out of debt and being aware of what money is and that value. But it's also important when we talk about people saying, oh, I can't afford it. Mm -hmm. Well, it's mm. not that they don't have money. It's that they don't see the value in giving you that money yet. And I think both sides of that coin are hit in the same way by the exercises that you just explained. Uh, absolutely. Uh, if, if you recognize that money has no power, you're the one with the power. And you're the one that gives money the power through your expression of how you use it. I think that's just a great summary of what you just described. Yeah, I um, I think that that's going to be incredibly valuable for people. Okay, so now I want to switch to a little bit of the tactical stuff that you love so much. I know you're so excited. Um, <laughs> for the people who have taken the leap and are no longer employed by corporations and no longer have that loved 401k that mm. um, they get to retire on. What steps can we start taking now that will allow us to be taken care of in the future? What things should we be thinking of? What questions should we be asking ourselves as business owners and entrepreneurs? Yeah, I, very, very, very first start. And, and we didn't quite answer that other one in terms of side gigs while you're trying to transition out of employment. <laughs> and doing something simultaneously. Don't just exit unless yes. you have a different opinion. Kind of take it no. for a test drive, do side gigs, do whatever, and see how it starts to unfold. So that's, and then see if you even really like it. And never start a business because you don't have anything else to do and you're just creating another job because it's way, 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 way harder. Hard, hard work. It's not a job. So if you're going to be an entrepreneur, don't try to just replace income. It's going to take way more of your life and energy. So yes. to make sure we hit on that. Um, I think that as entrepreneurs, the biggest number one thing is, is the business structure, you know, an S corporation an LLC, oftentimes we don't do that extra step. And so then we miss out on some of the tax benefits that we would be able to take advantage of if we incorporated our business in some way. So then, and, and people could do that on legal zoom you know, yeah. to incorporate uh, for a small amount of money. It's not overwhelming. And then you register with the secretary of state, uh, sec yeah, secretary of state. Um, and that's not a big deal either. You just get online, you fill out a thing and you pay 10 bucks a year each year, you know? So, so making sure that your business stays in good standing. Those, those are the kind of incorporate and then continue by staying in good standing every year. The second is to make sure that you pay yourself first. It's so hard to do that because you're just yeah. paying your bills. But to say, to, you know, to structure out, okay, I'm going to pay this into my household, which means that my business at the end of the year may be negative. But at least I paid my, paid my household first. Now, yeah. there's a balance between that, of course. 
you know, and then as your business grows, you, you notch it up a little bit, notch it up a little bit, notch it up a little bit. Um, so, so that's the second. The third is under, understanding um, and, and get a good accountant. Yes. Like from day one. Day one. I, you know, it's funny when I think of, I, I spoke in front of a realtors group for the state of Colorado and I interviewed their top agents and all of them had really good accountants. The second is they all were ferocious readers. Mm. So, you know, they read all kinds of books that allowed them to expand their brain and to get in the game for what they had to do, particularly sales and show up. So, um, and then, and then they understood cash flow, which is where I was going. Um, when you think about cash flow and understanding your numbers, basic numbers, not big numbers in terms of a balance sheet, but understand the basic cash flow of your business. Then I think that once you empower yourself, head out of the sand, you can't lie to yourself. Because why lie to yourself? You're the only one there. Yeah. Yep. Then knowing that creates steps in your business of goal setting for what you need to do for that week that month and, and come up with a daily routine. Like I, I wake up same time every, every day around six and I meditate before I do anything social media wise. Um, and then I'll, I'll do the scroll of the hot points or things that I need to, to look at. So anyway, uh, set a routine and a structure that allows you to do what you need to do to be successful. Now those are basic things, but now let's talk about money beyond cash flow. Um, it's unfortunate that business owners, that we don't have that beloved 401k that's matched. Cause we as solo business owners can have solo 401ks. Yeah. So that's very important to know that if you work for yourself and it's only you, you could set up a solo 401k and have access to enormous amounts of options and even a Roth 401k. Um, and do we think taxes are gonna go up or down? Hmm. Always up, always up, <laughs> always down. up. So why not do a Roth and pay taxes today when you're in a low bracket as you start your business uh, versus a traditional 401k? And if you don't have access to that or don't choose to set up a 401k, there's also a SEP, a Simplified Employee Pension Plan, or just a simple IRA, a Roth IRA that you don't have to put in the full amount, but put something in. Because remember I said pay yourself first? Part of paying yourself first is every year making sure you at least put something into that retirement account. Yeah, that's um, incredible advice. The next question, you know, is seems so straightforward, but I run into so many people who um, hold off for too long. What about those people who have waited too long? How do they start? Like the people who say, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I just don't know if I can catch up from all the years that I didn't invest. There's no, in life, as you know, Amber, it's never too late because Something is better than nothing. And so just start. And particularly women, I notice, uh, tend to be slower to start on the investing. Um, but, you know, set up a, a simple account that the digital platforms that exist today, that all you have to do is put your money in and they invest it for you, like a betterment.com or a personal capital. Um, so there's things that, that all you have to do is show up with the money online and they will invest it for you. So just start, even if it's 25 bucks a month, just start. Because here's what happened. When I left that uh, firm, alternative dispute resolution firm, I had $5,000 in my retirement plan. And it was something that they did. 
mm-hmm. that, that I didn't do. So I was shocked that I had it. Um, the fact that I didn't even know I had it is another trigger of, yeah. <laughs> Remember I talked about my 20s. Yep. So I did not spend it. I actually invested it, of course, because I went to a financial firm. And I'll never forget talking to my mom years later and go, mom, you know that 5,000 bucks? It's now over $20,000. And I remember the joy I had. And I knew that at that time that I don't think my mom had 20,000. You know, she was just starting in real estate. She didn't really, you know, again, the grind. Um, And I'll never forget that. And then Amber, I'll never forget when it crossed over 50 these milestones. And then when it crossed over a hundred, oh my God, who would have thought? Yeah. That little 5,000, of course, because I was putting in a little bit, you know, remember I didn't make much money. I was a net operating loss, but I would make sure I put in something that I had the money to, ideally I was trying to max out on my simplified employee pension. And sometimes I'd go into debt a little bit to make sure I did the full amount that I could on that SEP. And that's what I did those first several years is, I suffered, you know, didn't eat for whatever, as long as I fully funded that SEP with the little income that I had, it wasn't a lot to fully fund the SEP. Uh, So, yeah. And the reason I say that is I want to hit on the compounding effect of money. So, so, you know, by just starting, you'll start to see it grow. And that momentum that you, that you end up having is that you want to do more. And you'll go, wow, what if I increase it to $100 a month? What if I increase it to 2000 oh, a month? And that is what happens. It starts to, you start to get momentum and you pay attention to it. Because what we put our attention to. Yes. You know, and, and what is the intention around that? So our attention is what, what attracts uh, our perception. And so if we start to look at money as we can do this. We're in control of this. Money's not in control of us. We're in control of it. It needs us to be anything. And then all of a sudden you're like the master of your universe and you're Wonder Woman. Yes. I love that. So I want to, um, before we switch to the success element of this podcast, I want to um, get your opinion on questions that people should be asking when they have decided that it's time for them to bring a professional into their tax and retirement planning. There's so much advice out there. It's a really um, personal topic. And um, I feel like in some of the media conversations we have, there's been this fear mongering that's been created of what's going to happen with our money and are they going to take care of it? So when somebody's trying to decide if the professional they're talking to is the right professional for them, what questions should they be asking? Uh, I'm so glad you asked that because uh, my first book, Money Secrets, Keys to Smart Investing, uh, pulls back the curtain on the financial services industry to reveal why smart people make bad investment mistakes. And at the end of each chapter are questions that you should be asking somebody or they should be asking you. So it basically gives you armor so that when you go in to interview financial practitioners, you're in control of that process. Um, So I'll give a few of those. One chapter is specifically related to those things. Um, The basic, let me take a step back. In the nature of my field, there are salespeople and there are practitioners. Mm-hmm. 
90% of the people in my business are in sales. So then you wonder why you're not getting the outcome that you expected or that you ended up purchasing that annuity unexpectedly as they sell products. That's what they do. Yeah. And not that they that the product is not good for you. It's just that you're not necessarily getting the most objective advice. Or using it properly. Right. So how do you so so usually those people are at brokerage firms, you know the names or the banks, and know that they work for that bank or that brokerage firm. They work for the house not for you. Mm. It's kind of like when you go to the grocery store and what is like at eye level on the shelf, well, they pay extra to be at your eye level. Yeah. That is the same in the brokerage, uh, financial brokerage world is that the eye level is mutual fund families or product providers pay the brokerage firm more money so they could talk to the financial uh, representatives. And then, you know, that's what, how that happens or gives incentives on trips. So the 10% that are not in sales are like your CPA or like an attorney where they're your fiduciary, uh, where they have to have your best interests at all times and all transactions. They're not affiliated with a broker dealer. However, they use a custodian to keep your money safe, like Schwab, like TD Ameritrade, like Fidelity. Now those all on their own are brokerage houses, but yet for the independent registered investment advisor, we hire them to keep money safe as a custodian. So that's considered the institutional side, not the consumer side. Gotcha. So that's a lot. Sorry about that. But I thought that was really, so the book talks more about that. But the second is basic level is that they're a certified financial planner, CFP, basic, basic. Uh, so that's the second thing. The third is how they communicate. Do you understand them? Are they speaking your language in a way that's simple and easy and you feel like you could share your stuff because it's kind of vulnerable uh, when you're sharing who you are and your values and your humanographics, as we talked about further. And then I would say just the book will do more of the C's. I think I had seven C's in the book. But um, this is, I think, the most important after all these check, 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 check is um, do you get along with them? You know, are you compatible? That compatibility is huge because you want this relationship to be long-term. So you don't want to bounce around because it's hard work in the beginning to, to have them know who you are. Yeah. Uh, so, because, so the, anyway, uh, I just think that's really important is ultimately when all those things check off, who you end up picking last for you is the one that you personally feel most comfortable with and that you feel like you could trust over time. I love that answer. And the answer to this next question might be the opposite of everything you just said. And if that's cool, then we'll refer them to the book. But are there any red flags that people should run from if they're talking to somebody? What should they be looking out for that they should put their little spidey ten senses up? We did hit some of that in terms of product pushing. The other is rate of return. Like, if they feel like, oh, I got this special thing that I can guarantee this rate of return, like run away. The markets are efficient. No one has a crystal ball. Anyone that says otherwise, that thinks that they can give you this rate of return over time, you, sh you shouldn't even ask that kind of question to them. Um, but I understand why people do, because Wall Street sets up this structure to want to have a lot of sizzle. When investing should not have any sizzle. It should be boring. <laughs> boring. It should yeah. be very, very boring. So, uh, which is why, unfortunate, because I think that we're not touching money. 
because it's digital that it's like we want some sexiness in, yeah. with money, which is why Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies are so hot right now or have been. I mean, it's an interesting conversation, which is a whole nother conversation, but it's interesting because it's a different sexy story. Yeah. I, it's interesting. And you'll appreciate this coming from the legal field. I tell my clients the same thing. I'm like, don't get tied into this like TV law stuff. Mm -hmm. um, if, your oh, case is, <laughs> if your case is exciting, <laughs> that's a bad thing. Like we yeah. have gone down a wrong rabbit hole if anybody's interested in your case. Like, that's not True. a good thing. Um, I want to switch to the success element of this podcast. And I'm really excited to ask you this question because you have this journey um, filled with, as most people, but for you, it's just so evident, filled with success and then fear and then more success <laughs> and more fear and then accomplishments and then this honest discussion with yourself about what it is you actually want. I believe that every single person in order to design the life that they want to have needs to start with their own definition of success in mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So for you today, how do you define success for yourself? What does it mean? Mm. Well, I'm a mom of two children. Uh, now they're young adults. So I have a 24-year-old and a 21-year-old who still has one more year of college. And as a mom, you're only as happy as your least happiest kid. <laughs> so, so success around family, success around balance, success around, <clears throat> am I living the life that I dreamed? And I, I listened to a couple of your earlier podcasts and just listening to, you're right, achievement, achievement, achievement. And then it's like, okay, that sucks. I'm working my ass off and I'm missing out. It's, that old expression, Stephen Covey, climbing the corporate ladder of success. You get up to the top and you look, yes. oh my God, the ladder's on the wrong wall, right? <clears throat> yep. I have not felt that. And the reason I haven't felt that is I did start out in the brokerage world, which is why I could have this conversation about being in sales. <clears throat> and what happened is I'll never forget one day I decided to read the, the, the disclosures on the back of an investment statement. And it was four pages, but it was two to a page. So eight pages of tiny, tiny, tiny print. And as I read it, I saw all these conflicts of interest. Mm -hmm. And I remember a tear streaming down my face and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm not a fiduciary. I, I am simply in sales. And that's when it took me, it wasn't immediate because I had little kids, but that's when I switched uh, and set up, okay, I'm going to open a firm that puts clients first, not last. And that's when I created Wealth Legacy Institute. And that was 15 years ago. Wow. So- for the past 15 years, I've been completely in alignment with what I believe and what my values are. And, and I have control over who we work with that I love every single client that we have. Some of them take a little longer, but that's only because I haven't gotten to know them better. You know what I mean? Because we're all uniquely weird. And I love that. And oh. so I feel like I've been in alignment since I made that shift and life hasn't life has been great because it's a soulful company i wanted to create a financial advisory firm with soul i love that um one of the most interesting ideas for me is when people are on this path it seems that whatever your belief is god religion universe whatever it is mm -hmm. when you think you're on a right path 
the universe will throw opportunities at you to see mm. how committed you are to the path that you're on. Mm. And we have to have some internal or external check to know what to say yes or no to. What is that for you? How do you stay true to your definition of success? And how do you analyze what to say yes and no to from all the opportunities we get? That's a great question. Uh, for me, it's when I'm in flow and it's easy. Uh, it, 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 it's with ease. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Um, I have absolutely loved our time together. I think that you gave this perfect balance of mindset and tactical tips and success and all of the things that we got to talk about. Before we wrap up, I'd love to do a quick random round. Are you okay with that? Yeah, let's go for it. Perfect. If you could have any profession other than what you're doing now, what do you think would be fun to attempt? <laughs> Coast Guard. I love water. I would love okay. to be on the water all day long, saving the coast. I love it. And the environment. If you could time travel, where would you go and why? Mm. I'd go to 1967 Summer of Love. <laughs> <laughs> Very practical. Yeah. And just be a, just like free, free spirit. I yeah. oh, that just warms my heart. Uh, that's so interesting. Um, other than your books um, that we have touched on, Money Secrets and Retirement Secrets, mm -hmm. what book have you recommended the most to mm. entrepreneurs and business owners? It, it's it's going to be a book that is not what you think it is. And I have, because it's not to entrepreneurs and business owners, but I think it's it's helpful for anyone. And it's Hiring the Heavens. Ooh. I don't know if you've ever heard of it by I haven't. Slatter. It's a quick, quick, quick read. And it is kind of as you kind of talked about before that you ask these questions with this thread of spirituality or a higher, you know, where does that fit in? Where does that fit in with you so that you're completely in alignment and then using it, spiritual guides for you. And, yeah. and it's, someone recommended it to me about two years ago. And since then, I've probably given it away eight times. Oh, wow. I'll have to check it out. Hiring the oh, heavens. I'll have to check it out. My last question, because I am a music nerd, um, what is your <laughs> pump-up song? What is it that you have to listen to to have a good day? Well, you know, I'm in Colorado, and the Avalanche, the national hockey team, just won the Stanley they Cup. They did. Congratulations on that. Thank you. So an old song from when I played sports back in the day is We Are the Champions by Queen. I love it. What did you play? Basketball. Okay. Very Can you cool. believe that? Basketball. I played softball too, but yeah, basketball. We are the champions. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I, Kim, have greatly enjoyed having you on the show and I appreciate and thank you for the time that you've spent with our audience sharing a little bit of your world in the financial world with us. Thanks, Amber. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. If anything that was said during this episode resonated with you or provided value in any way, it would mean the world to me if you would head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for the More Than Corporate Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. I'm really looking forward to connecting with you. If you'd also like to connect, I've created a Facebook group that is full of amazing people who also make it their mission to live their best life every single day. If that sounds like something that you're interested in. The name of that Facebook group is Success Center. Head over there, request to join, and I look forward to connecting with you soon.